Hi, my name is Father Mike Schmitz, and you're listening to the Bible in a Year podcast, where we encounter God's voice and live life through the lens of Scripture. The Bible in a Year podcast is brought to you by Ascension. Using the Great Adventure Bible Timeline, we'll read all the way from Genesis to Revelation, discovering how the story of salvation unfolds and how we fit into that story today. It is introduction to the Messianic fulfillment, and it is our fourth Messianic checkpoint. And so we finally have reached the Gospel of St. Luke, and so that means... Today, we get to be joined by Jeff Cavins once again. So grateful for this. But before that, I just want to let you know that today's sponsor of this episode is Hello. It's the largest and fastest growing app in the world with millions of Catholics using it to grow deeper in their relationship with God. You can listen to all Bible in a Year episodes on Hallow. You can also add background noises like rain or Gregorian chant. You can adjust the speed so it goes really, really fast or even really, really slow. You can track your streak and even journal your takeaways Hallow also offers thousands of meditations to help you deepen your prayer life and find peace in God. They've got everything from a daily rosary, daily gospel, daily saint, meditations for anxiety and stress, Bible stories to help you fall asleep, peaceful Christian music, Gregorian chant, challenges for Lent and Advent, and so much more. You can pray and reflect with everyone from myself, Father Mike, Bishop Barron, Jonathan Rumi, Father Mark Mary, Dr. Scott Hahn, Sister Miriam, Leah Darrow, and many, many more. Hallow is rooted in the Catholic faith, but it's an incredible resource for any Christian looking to deepen their relationship with God. You don't have to just take our word for it. You can download it yourself today on the App Store and give it a try. There is a completely free version of the app with a ton of great content. But if you want to unlock the full set of thousands of meditations for free, you can go to hallow.com slash Bible in a year for a free three-month trial. So that's hallow.com slash Bible in a year for a free three-month trial. That being said, Jeff, welcome. And we're talking about Luke today. Yes, we are. And you know what? It, it literally feels like just yesterday that we began all of this. And here we are. We're, we're, we're in the New Testament. It's the final gospel of the four. And oh, what a, what an adventure! What an adventure! Let me let me ask you, Father, because no one interviews you. What do you think so far about all of this? Oh, I think this has been an incredible journey. One of the things that keeps coming back every time I record an episode, and also every time I listen, because I do listen as well. I'm I'm not just a what's it what's it called? I'm not just the president. I'm also the client. I'm not the president, but you know what I'm saying. Who's that guy? You know what I'm talking about? That commercial for the shaver. Uh, no, I don't, but perhaps we could talk about Luke. <laughs> Maybe we'll talk about Luke. Okay, back to our, I will not only you know read this, but also uh, listen. And one of the things that strikes, <laughs> that was great. One of the things that strikes me is, um, you know, I, I did the Great Adventure Bible Timeline that you had created, and I'm so grateful for that. I've told so many people, even in the last week, I've told people that while I was an undergrad major in theology, and then I went to five years of seminary, so nine years total studying theology, studying philosophy, and studying scripture, when I went through your Great Adventure Bible Timeline, that was the one class, essentially like a class, where I finally was, I thought, oh my gosh, that makes sense now. All the little pieces that I had gotten in all these other classes and all these other schools, all of a sudden, it all made sense. And so today, when we're hitting the Gospel of Luke, this is the Gospel that you use when it comes to the Great Adventure a Bible Timeline. It's not the Gospel of Mark or Matthew or, or John, but it's the Gospel of Luke into Acts. And I just thought, here we are. Finally, you know, after all these days, after all this time, we're back here and in this place where we get to see the fulfillment of everything we've been listening to up till now. 
Right. And, you know, you mentioned the, the Great Adventure Bible Study. Uh, that comes in an eight-part version and a 24-week version, which is the long, you know, kind of uh, journey through the entire Bible. And it's a great thing to do after Bible in a year. If people are looking to go deeper, then start a group. You know, start a group in your church, in your home, and go deep into Scripture, and at the same time, keep going through the Bible in a year again. I mean, soak yourself in Scripture. What's happening uh, nationwide, I would say worldwide right now, with Catholics in the Bible is historical. I mean, Catholics are studying the Bible more than ever and and uh, sharing Christ with people more than ever, and uh, it's just a great time to to be alive. But yeah, Luke— Luke, uh, people always ask, what's your favorite gospel? And I I usually say Matthew until I come to Luke. (laughs) And then I say, (laughs) you know, it's probably Luke. But uh, one of the the reasons I like Luke so much is that originally Luke and Acts were one book, and then they were divided up for the purpose of keeping John as the fourth in the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, with synoptics meaning they all seem to come from the same source, same view. Uh, It was divided up, but uh, he states his purpose in writing the gospel very, very clearly at the beginning, and he says he wanted to compile a carefully researched history of the life of Jesus. And so it's like a biography, really, you know, of Jesus. And he's got the pedigree, too. Not only was he a physician, but he was a companion of Paul, and he was—this is a good trivia question, Father—who is the most prolific author in the New Testament? I would guess Paul. Ah, Luke. Is it really? Yes, it actually is. But you said— he has more chapters. Yes, you gave the answer, though, that most people would. Uh, Paul has more letters— but <laughs> back to seminary. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I told you I didn't learn much in school, so I, that's my defense. <laughs> well, Paul has more books, but uh, Luke has more content uh, there. And so it was originally one book, and I love the way he begins. He's writing to a guy called Theophilus, which literally means loved by God. He says, oh, most excellent Theophilus. And the question's always going to come up, who's Theophilus? Nobody knows. There's a lot of guesses about it, even uh, the guess that it belongs to uh, generic Christians, people who love God. This is to you, you know? So if we don't know who Theophilus is, we will read it as it's addressed to me, <laughs> addressed to you. and uh, Which is another great way to read the Bible in the first place. Exactly, exactly. So what makes this uh, gospel different than the others? Well, it is part of the, the group of uh, synoptic gospels, but there are some things that make it different. For example, uh, Luke really focuses on Jesus the man, or as some people have said, Jesus the ideal man. Now, we know that he is God and he's man, the hypostatic union. He's one person, two natures, and that human nature is really brought out in Luke, the humanity of Jesus. You know, it talks about him growing in wisdom and stature and favor with God. It talks about his temptation. Uh, he physically touches a leper. Sweat like drops comes from his his head in Gethsemane, and he even eats a meal after the resurrection. So there's this real emphasis on the humanity of Jesus. And then, uh, as a Gentile, I forgot to tell you that Luke was a Gentile doctor, and as a Gentile doctor, he seems to notice things that the other gospel writers didn't write about, like the outsiders 
the Gentiles, the unexpected person in the in the narrative, like Zacchaeus, you know, the tax collector, and the Good Samaritan, and the prodigal son. And so for those that feel like maybe you're an outsider and you're not a part, well, Luke's a good book because he's going to draw you in and he's going to share with you uh, the outsider's view and how they became a member of the household of God. So I like that about him. I also love that he has um, so many parables. I mean, there's parables in in each of the the gospels, but but I just there are, there are parables that are unique, right, to uh, to Luke that aren't necessarily found in the other three gospels. Right. There, in fact, there's ten of them. There's ten parables that are are limited to to Luke's gospel. You've got the parable of the two debtors, in chapter seven. You got the parable of the friend at midnight in eleven. Parable of the rich fool. Parable of punishment, parable of barren trees, lost coins, shrewd managers, rich man and Lazarus, the persistent widow, and the Pharisee and the tax collector. So you're right. In fact, in uh, uh, I think it's chapter eight. Yeah, chapter eight. He even gives the meaning on why he's telling parables that it is for the insider. It's for the people who are following him. They're going to get it. And to the people on the outside, it's kind of a kind of a mystery. But parables. Are, were, I should say, a very popular way for rabbis to teach in the first century. And I think we mentioned this before, but what parables do is they draw everybody in like a stadium. Everybody's going to sit around and listen to it, but by the time he gets done, you're going to feel like he's only talking to you. And <laughs> your next word is, why are you pointing me out here? You know, he, you drew me in, you fooled me, you're talking about me. And uh, I think that that is... Uh, uh, in fact, I even did that on one of my um, one of my podcasts. I mentioned, "Is Jesus talking about you?" Right? You know, is <laughs> yes, he is. <laughs> the answer, the answer, yes, most likely. Right, right. Well, you know, a couple of other things, Father, that I think are really powerful in the uh, Gospel of Luke is in chapter one we have one of the uh, stories of the visitation. And the visitation is, of course, really important when it comes to the to the rosary. But what Luke does, he is masterful, masterful. Uh, when he writes about the visitation of Mary visiting Elizabeth, he is showing you something on the surface. Yes, she's visiting Elizabeth. But if you really look under the hood here, you'll see that he is mirroring 2 Samuel 6. And 2 Samuel 6 is where David brings the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem for the first time time. And so you have I, almost identical statements in chapter one where, you know, it says that uh, in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country. And then in Second Samuel 6, David arose and went to the hill country. And then uh, the child leaped in her womb, little John the Baptist leaped in her womb. And, and with uh, David, he he leapt before the Ark of the Covenant, you know, and that's really what the focus is. And then it goes on and he, and Elizabeth says, and why is this granted me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And David says of the Ark, how is it that the Ark of the Lord has come to me? And then the fourth parallel is that uh, she stayed with Elizabeth three months. And in 2 Samuel 6, the Ark stayed at the house of Obed-Edom for three months. In other words, what Luke is saying is, guys, she is the new Ark of the Covenant 
and out of her womb comes the living word, comes the, the, the word incarnate and the great high priest, the three things that were in the Ark of the Covenant. So he is masterful at this. It's just incredible to, to, to see that and to realize that this isn't just, uh, this isn't kind of like a, you have to squint and kind of cock your head to the side to see this. This is a clear recapitulation. This is a clear fulfillment of the old Ark of the Old Covenant is now fulfilled in this new Ark of the New Covenant. And it just, yeah, it's remarkable, incredible. Yeah, and I would just say, you know, to um, to all of our friends here that are going through this, number one, yay, you're, you're, you're in there, and that's yeah, just really, really good. Uh, yeah, great job. The, the second thing is, is that when you read the New Testament, always keep in mind the Old Testament because all of Scripture is Christocentric. But when we really get down under the literal meaning, what the author wanted to say, we are looking for what's called the allegorical sense, or how does this relate to Jesus and and his family, you know, his mother and so forth, his kingdom. And this is one of the great examples of it. Uh, in light of uh, uh, everything that's happening in the world right now, I think it's also interesting that Luke, more than the other gospels, has such a tremendous emphasis on the role of women mm -hmm. in the Bible. You know, you've got, of course, the Blessed Virgin Mary. You've got Elizabeth, Anna. They're prominent figures. You've got Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Susanna. And they're mentioning they're mentioned as people who supported Jesus financially in his, in his ministry. And so there is such a role here uh, for women in, like, like, for example, Anna the prophetess, upon seeing Jesus, becomes really the first evangelist to, uh, to shout out the good news of deliverance in his name. And she's like a prophetess. So women play such a great role in the Gospel of Luke. Which is, again, as you said, so heartening and so encouraging because, or even those who accompanied him, those who uh, supplied for his needs, that sense of, there's a number of uh, women who are mentioned, uh, as, you, as you mentioned, Susanna, Mary Magdalene, and not only that, but also this recognition that uh, Luke is also interested in those who are on the fringes, like those who are, I mean, just like Jesus was interested in those who are on the fringes, Jesus was interested in, in going to those people who um, would not be normally comfortable or wouldn't be necessarily accepted or acceptable when it came to uh, the normal religious practices. And that's one of the things I, I, it keeps coming back to me again and again, that if Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophets, and here's John, you know, the last of the, of the prophets, but here's Jesus who is truly a prophet as well. You know, he's, he's identified as a prophet that he's going to have some prophet-like words for people. And he does have prophet-like words. I mean, we spent 90 days going through the prophets here on the Bible in here. And so we know what prophets often sound like. They don't always give encouraging words. They do sometimes, but they also give words that are just, these are the words of truth that need to be spoken so that people can hear and repent. And Jesus offers those words here in the gospel of Luke as well, which is just, it's, it's good for us to hear because I think sometimes we have our particular, maybe we'll say version of Jesus. And that version of Jesus can maybe just agree with everything I agree with. And he doesn't like the things I don't like. And he likes the things I do like, as opposed to really listening to the real Jesus here in the gospels. Yeah. You mentioned uh, people on the fringe. I think all of us could say one time or another, we 
were on the fringe. You know, I was on the outside kind of looking in. And as we mentioned earlier, Zacchaeus, Good Samaritan, Prodigal Son, it's a place of hope. It's a point of hope. And for people who have sons and daughters who are are far away from the Lord, and that's probably one of the most popular or numerous questions I get, and I'm sure you do too, and that is, my son left the church, my daughter left the church, what do I do? Well, Luke's a good gospel for that. I mean, Luke's a good gospel, period. <laughs> Luke's a good gospel because you've got people who are like your son, are like your daughter, like Zacchaeus and Good Samaritan, prodigal son, and in a moment, their lives changed. They changed, and they they returned to the Father's house. They came and had dinner with 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 Jesus, and uh, they entered the drama like the Good Samaritan, the you know the unpredictable, the one that wasn't going to be a part of it. So I would encourage people uh, in that as well. Another theme, Father, that really sticks out in this gospel is uh, the picture of Jesus. In prayer, Jesus in prayer more than any of the other gospels. You know, he prays at the beginning of his ministry in chapter three, and it's close in chapter twenty-three. He prays all night before selecting the apostles. He prays uh, when he's exalted. He prays when he's humiliated. Uh, the Lord prays when he is confessed and before Peter denies him. I mean, you can go on and on. And then as a result of this, in chapter 11, the disciples basically are begging him, teach us how to pray. You know, We want to pray like you pray. And I think that after uh, our friends are going through the Gospel of Luke, uh, take note of that, and you too ask God, teach me to pray. Of course, he does in the Gospel, but I think it's always good to use the example of Jesus in prayer and adopt that in our own lives. Oh, so so true, and especially even the example of um, the apostles or the disciples saying, asking, teach us how to pray. Like you, like you pointed out, we have a bunch of students here uh, who I don't. I, I think some of our focus missionaries must have taught it to them because I guess I I know that I myself didn't personally teach us unless they got it out of the scripture itself. But whenever I say, "Hey, would someone lead us in prayer?" or even I'm just, I'm just meeting with someone and say, "Would you lead us, you know, in prayer?" One of the first things that comes out of their mouth is oftentimes the words, come Lord Jesus, teach us how to pray, or come Holy Spirit, teach us how to pray. And I just think, oh, that is so good. That instinct that asks, just like the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray, that every time we begin those those prayers, just so powerful to be able to um, be reminded that we're in that place, we're in that place of beginners, in that place of learning, and knowing that it's the Holy Spirit who teaches us how to pray because we don't know how to pray as we ought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even pray for your enemies. Yeah. Pray for your enemies. Another point that's interesting here is in Luke 8, Luke chapter 8, Jesus makes a statement that is really kind of eye-opening. And, you know, they said, your brothers, your mother's here, and so forth. He says, my family is comprised of those who hear my word and do it. These are my mother, my brothers, my, my sisters. And for me, that is so powerful to know that that. I am drawn closer in a familial way, a family way to Jesus by not only hearing his word, but by doing his word. And I would say, you know, for all of our friends who are going through Bible in a year, do you want to get closer to Jesus? Do you want to feel like kin? (laughs) Well, do his word, listen to his word and do his word. It's not just listening and doing, but it is moving closer to him. That's a really good, great point, especially how many people ask the question, how do I get closer? How do I feel closer to the Lord? And the answer is, well, it's not just a feeling, obviously, 
But like you're saying, those who hear the word and act on it, those who hear the word and do it are family, regardless of feeling, regardless of emotion, regardless of all those other uh, subjective factors. Objectively speaking, Jesus is saying, it's just like how in the gospel of John, he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Again, that sense of the, you'll do what I do, what I ask you, do what I say. Right. So you have chapter eight and uh, his family. And then in chapter nine, it even moves in uh, further down the road into from family to discipleship. And he talks about in chapter nine, the, the price or the cost of discipleship. And that, that cost, that price of being not only family, but being a disciplined follower of his is that you have to pick up your cross and follow him. And that's not 24 karat. That is <laughs> yeah. the, re- although they're nice, but that is the, the cross. How he lived, you live. He suffered, you suffer. The obstacles that you face, you're going to face. How he was treated, you just might be treated that way as well. And that is, you know, you're talking about your students mm-hmm. in college. That is a great truth to uh, take to heart. Well, yeah. And, and then he even reiterates that in chapter 14 where he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. He goes, bear, you know, doubles down. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And that sense of being able to come back to this, this truth. I mean, I remember when I first read this as, as a teenager and it just struck me. I was like, okay, these three things, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me as the conditions for this. You know, I saw the header on that little subsection of the gospel and just, it struck me as, okay, this is what has to, has to be part of my life if I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus. And uh, I can't say that I was overjoyed <laughs> about it, but at the same time, it was very clear. And and I think that that gave me a lot of consolation. The fact that it, this is very clear, uh, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. Um, because those, those last words, the first two, right? Deny yourself, make up your cross, important, obviously necessary. But the third piece being, and follow me, is just to be wanted by the Lord, to hear him say, I want you to follow me. Um, I think it helps the first two um, become palatable, at least capable of doing that. Yeah, well, you know, I think if he, uh, if he asked you and me and, uh, and our friends who are listening, to follow him, I imagine that following anybody else on Instagram or anything else would not be that important right. <laughs> anymore. I've got the one that I'm following here. He's, you know, he's my king and and he's my lord. Uh, oh, I, I know that you love this chapter too, and that is chapter twenty four towards yes. the end here. The <laughs> Emmaus do. Road, the Emmaus Road experience is. The, and get this, it's it's the only Gentile writer, and the Gentile writer is explaining the inner workings of the Mass, the the liturgy of uh, of uh, the Word and the liturgy, you know, of the Eucharist. And and uh, I love that story, of course, you know, re- recalling it, you have Clopas and somebody else, they're, they're walking away from Jerusalem. They don't know that Jesus has, has risen from the dead. Their heads are hung low. And, and by the way, my friends, if if your head is hung low, maybe you're not recognizing that he has risen from yeah. the dead. He, he is Lord. He's on the throne. So you have, um, you have them walking away, and then Jesus joins them 
And I love it because you know, people say, well, does God have a sense of humor? <laughs> yeah, he does. Here's these people walking away and it's like, hey, what are you guys talking about? Are you the only one that doesn't know? Are you deep? <laughs> <laughs> uh, about what? About Jesus, Nazareth. And, and then he, what does he do? He sits down and gives them the Bible study of all Bible studies. When, when our friends get to this one, chapter 24, this is it. This is the, this is the CD set I wish I had. You know, right. <laughs> because he goes, he goes into the Old Testament and he explains throughout the entire Old Testament, he explains why the Messiah, the Son of Man, had to suffer. I think that's interesting. You know, you, of all the themes that he would spend that entire day teaching on, he teaches on suffering, which I think goes back to Luke 9, the cost of discipleship. Well, anyway, he goes, he, he, I'm not going to tell you the end of the story. I'll spoil it. You don't want to spoil it. You want to ruin it for us. But yeah, but he goes, they, he, he has a meal with them in the breaking of the bread, which is the same really as the liturgy of the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. Their eyes are open and they see him. And that is such a beautiful message for us today in that in the Eucharist, just like in Luke 24, you, you want your eyes opened? Go to mass. You know, you want, you want to see life the way it really is? Go to Mass. You want to know the truth? Go to Mass. It'll transform you like it did this couple that was walking. And then they returned to Jerusalem, you know? So everybody that's listening right now and you are walking away, I would encourage you to go back and meet Jesus in the Eucharist. Yeah, it's just, it's just so we, every summer we have a, well, every third summer, we put on a camp for junior high students and uh, every third summer we just walk through Luke 24 and, and that the whole week is this journey with Cleopas and we call her Mrs. Cleopas because it's like, maybe, you know, there was Mary, the wife of Cleopas. Maybe that's who he was traveling Some with. People it's, think so. Yeah. The person's unnamed, but, um, but that sense of, like you're saying that, that we experience a brokenness in our lives. We are dejected. They um, were so disappointed. We had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. And just that we had hoped, not we're hoping, not we're going to hope, but we used to, we had hoped. And no, now there's hope no longer. And gosh, and Jesus has this incredible surprise for them. And it's not merely the surprise of one-time meeting, a one-time being able to encounter him and see him again, but it is this surprise that they will re enact and they'll they'll they will re uh, relive every single sunday every single lord's day whenever they are in encountering the mass again which is just it was for us too that that sense of in our hopelessness in our brokenness what does jesus do he shows up breaks open the word and then the word made flesh is given to us in the eucharist yeah so good i love it and then finally i guess i would say that um you know, looking at the differences in the in the four Gospels, except for just a little mention at the end of Mark, Luke is the Gospel that really brings us into the that mystery of the ascension of Jesus, and he goes into some detail there. And um, in fact, that's where ascension got their name. Was there it is, you know, right there. <laughs> yeah, there it is. <laughs> and that that ascension. <laughs> I want to say. I always want to say that's the name of the company. How did? <laughs> That's where they got it. That's, That's the name of the YouTube channel. What the heck? <laughs> well, that, that ascension actually acts as a bridge from the gospel to Acts, because he originally wrote it all together, and then the church split that, but the ascension is sort of the, the bridge there. 
Yeah. And that's, I, and I'm so, so excited because right from that chapter, we launch right into Acts. So it's seamless. You know, one day it's Luke 24, the next day it's Acts chapter one, mm -hmm. which is, yeah, so good. Love it. Well, Jeff, I know, are there any, you know, I, this is so good because as we're launching into your favorite gospel, um, <laughs> we can keep our eyes or ears attuned to all these elements, the element of here's women in the gospel, the element of the nativity, because that's where we get so many of the nativity stories mm -hmm. are not all of them, but many of them yeah, are coming right. from Luke, that pre-nativity, the actual nativity. Um, but also uh, you mentioned the the extra parables that Luke has given us, that extra teaching, that that call high call for discipleship and ascension. But if we were going to have uh, one way of listening differently to Luke's gospel than we listen to the other three, what's one thing you would say, okay, put you know, this kind of filter on your ears or put mm -hmm. this kind of listen for this piece of, of something that you might not have heard or we want to, that's even more emphasized in Luke's gospel. Right. Well, I, I think there's a, um, a couple things. One is to, uh, to listen to it from the viewpoint of a disciple, of somebody who is uh, serving the Lord, following the Lord. And when you come across uh, the various themes that you just mentioned, for example, the role of women, uh, revisit that as a disciple. Jesus in prayer, revisit that as a disciple. Uh, of course, in John or in uh, Luke nine, take up your cross and uh, and follow me. Uh, that's kind of the heart. But listen to all of his teaching, the Good Samaritan, and certainly listen to the parables as a disciple of the Lord. The second thing I would I would say is always keep in the back of your mind that Acts used to be a part of this, and there is a direct relationship between the life of Jesus and the life of the early church. You'll notice that the early church in Acts actually is repeating many of the things that Jesus did. So if you're, if you're listening or reading Bible in a year right now, and something hits you and you think, oh, that's pretty interesting about Jesus— I wonder if that could be found in Acts as well, because he's giving you this, as we said, you know, at the beginning, a complete and carefully researched history, and that is a parallel history between the life of Christ and the life of the of the church in the book of Acts. And sometime, you know what, you just might want to read all of it right through, you know, Luke <laughs> right. and Acts, just read it through and get exactly what he originally wrote. Yeah, just save up a bunch of, of weeks of Bible <laughs> in a year and just press play. Go for a really long walk. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I'm so grateful. This is this is so good, especially it tees us up for, you know, the next, I think it's maybe nine days or so that we get to walk through, maybe even 10 days we get to walk through the Gospel of Luke and to take it all like the other three Gospels, to receive them all at once. I think a lot of times if we're used to coming to mass, we're used to coming to church and we get little pieces, you know, we just get kind of little snippets, which is good, a great way to have those bite-sized chunks. Um, this is once again, one of those great gifts where we get the whole story presented to us as a whole story. And I think that there's something about that, that just, I know for me, the thing I look forward to is it just reveals the heart of Jesus in places that I normally would miss. Um, Cause I would just maybe kind of, I, I would be either deaf to them or I'd be blind to them, or I just would kind of ignore them. But this presents his whole heart. And I just, I, uh, if that makes sense, yeah. I, I just, I really love being able to take in these gospels as a whole, just 
chapter one mm-hmm. to the end of the book. And that's what we get to do. And I'm yeah. so grateful. Um, Jeff, do you have any last words for us before we uh, let our uh, our friends go? Sure. Well, I just encourage you, my friend, uh, keep going on and on. And as I've said before, you know, and I think, Father, you've heard two people say, oh, I love the Bible in a year. I'm two weeks behind. And right. to that, I say, that's all right. Take a later flight. Yep. You know, you're going to get there <laughs> and, and uh, keep going. The idea is not to be on time, but to be faithful and continue and continue. You'll be so glad that you did. And this is going to be a year that stands out in your life like no other year. In fact, I would venture to say, you're going to mention this to your kids. If you don't have kids, someday you might. You're going to mention this. You might mention it to your your grandchildren. Better yet, you might go through this with them. This is the story, the true history, and uh, it is uh, just a, a historical point in the church's history and the Bible. Yeah, so good. And also, I just think you mentioned that that there are more Catholics listening to the Bible right now than, I don't know, ever before, but maybe ever before. But also, part of this community are our non-Catholic brothers and sisters who are journeying with us. And that's such a gift to be able to have this whole community of the Bible in a year who are, again, our non-Catholic brothers and sisters also listening to the seven books that they didn't even know existed, you know, the Deuterocanonical books, as well as just the ability that we can as believers, as followers, as disciples of Jesus, to be united in uh, listening to God's word like this. It just, we don't always have unity with everything, but this has been an incredible opportunity for us to be a united community in so many ways. And so I'm really grateful uh, for you, Jeff. I'm so grateful for all your teaching. For the, as I mentioned at the beginning of this particular episode, so grateful for the Great Adventure Bible Timeline, which taught me uh, so much, but um, also for the community that has joined us and is journeying with us. Um, as you know, uh, I am praying for you every single day. And I know I hear people tell me that they're praying for me and for you, Jeff. Um, so to our friends, uh, I am praying for you. Uh, please pray for me. I uh, continue praying for, for both of us. Uh, my name is Father Mike. And I cannot wait to see you tomorrow. God bless. Mm-hmm.